I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 53, and I wanted to take a minute and speak to you um, what I believe is pounding in the heart of God. Father, help me to um, speak about things that I know so little about. Help me, Father, to create in the hearts of the people a responsive yearning for you. Um, I pray that through your grace and your Holy Spirit, you would be able to reveal your heart to us in a greater way, a greater measure today. Lord, as we read your word, I pray that it would come alive to us. That we would see it. We would not just here to learn something, but we would see it and be impacted by it, God, in the name of Jesus. So in 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that do good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. To see if there were any that did understand and that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And you're not an exception. And neither am I. A good one came, he came from heaven. Became a man, and he was the good one. He was the only good one, but he did it. And the reason he came was because none of us were seeking God. And God looked down from heaven to see if anyone was, and there wasn't anybody. God considers this abominable iniquity. God considers this to be the heart of a fool. To know that a God exists, but for that creature to not seek that creator has to be the most foolish heart action that could ever be done. I don't think he's talking about the atheist. And I've made reference to Psalm 53 recently this year. And this is not necessarily that message. But in about a week and a half, we're going to start what we call our Encourage Conference. And there's an emphasis on prayer. And I guess we just put that there because to put what was really in my heart was way too long. So I'll preach some of it today. But it's really the presence of God. Because sometimes we can pray and we make prayer all about prayer. And we miss God while we're praying. And so it's about God's presence. And, and I don't want us to assume that we have to wait till the Encourage Conference to experience God's presence. I believe we've experienced him here today. I believe anyone who wanted to experienced him here today and, and continues to and will even in the altar. What I gather from Isaiah, or Psalm 53 is that God is a seeking God. And I think that's incredible. He's the seeking God. Even after incredible rejection, because here he is looking down from heaven the creator, and none of his creation is looking for him. If I was creator, 
I probably wouldn't have done what God did. But he took on flesh and he came to earth to seek me and you. He even said that. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. Because we were not looking for him and we were in trouble. He looked for us to save us from our trouble. Jesus actually told a woman that was just of ill repute. Society didn't want much to do with her. They kind of threw her out. But visiting with this woman at Jacob's well, um, Jesus said to her that the Father in heaven is looking for worshipers. That's who he's looking for. And so when I consider David in Psalm 53 writing in behalf of God, or we could go back to the Chronicles where the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect towards him, Or even back to the Garden of Eden when God is walking in the cool of the day with the man he used to walk with who's not there now. And God's crying out for him, where are you? That here's this God who has just really been looking for one thing. Worshippers. When God instituted a religious system that we know is the system of Moses and the the old covenant. The people greatly distorted that and they turned it into a religious system when God finally had enough of it. And he writes about it through his prophet Isaiah and he said, enough of your sacrifices. They make me sick. It's not the circumcision of your flesh that I wanted. It was the circumcision of your heart. You don't fool me. You come to me with your religious pretenses and your religious obligations, and by that you think that you have entitled yourself to whatever it is that you want from me. But I've just wanted your heart. I've wanted you to turn to me with your heart. You draw near to me with your mouths and your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And it's no different today. It's no different. God's walking through this room, and he's looking for a worshiper. He's looking for somebody who understands, who knows that he exists and turns to him with the reverence and the respect and the desire that I too want to know you. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 3. I want you to read with me an encounter that Moses had with God. It's not his first encounter. And we know this because Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the understanding that while Paul or Moses was a prince in Egypt, and when Moses had access to all of the wealth of Egypt, it was then that he forsook it. Moses did not have access to Egypt's wealth when he was a fugitive. He had access to Egypt's wealth when he was a prince. And while he was a prince, Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses chose to reject Egypt's wealth, esteeming the reproach of Christ as a greater treasure. So here's this man in Egypt as a prince, an Israelite, 
who knows there's a God and understands that the value of God is greater than the greatest riches any kingdom could offer me, so I choose God. And in that, Moses took it upon himself to try to benefit the Jewish people, and he ended up murdering a man. And he was discovered for it. He didn't know that he was seen doing that, but he was, and he was discovered for it. And so he flees for his life, and he runs off into the desert. And he's in the desert for about 40 years before he has this encounter. So here's, here's a man for about 80 years has had this incredible knowledge of God. And in the knowledge that he has of God, he has had the faith to reject the world for Christ. That's what Hebrews 11 says. But he's living a life certainly below anything that God had wanted for him. And he has come to a place of realizing in himself that I have no value I have nothing to give. I have nothing to contribute. Now, 40 years earlier when I was in Egypt, I thought I was the man. I was going to change the world. But now 40 years later as a fugitive and a murderer and on the run from Egypt, I'm nothing. I can't even speak. I can't talk. What good could I do for God or for anybody? And this is when Moses has what I would say his life-changing encounter with God. With the presence of God. And, and here's the deal. Some of you have been in the church world for decades. You have understood God. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe in, in such a way that you, have, you were willing. Something happened in your life. And you were willing to repent. To turn from what kept you from Jesus And you turned toward Jesus and you made a confession for him to be your Savior and your Lord. And you made that confession. But you've yet to have your encounter with God. In a a life-altering encounter. I'm not saying that nothing has changed in your life. I'm not saying you're not born again because one of the greatest evidences of a born-again life is a changed life. And even repentance comes because you have been touched by God and God has encountered you. I'm talking about a more specific and intimate encounter with God where there's a revelation of his beauty and a revelation of his worth and a revelation of his love. It's addictive. When you have that, tomorrow cannot be like today. Next month cannot be like this month. It it cannot be because I am addicted now to this, to this presence, to this God. And so in Exodus chapter 3, the Bible records this encounter. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. While the bush is not burnt. 
Verse 4 is very important. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then is the engagement from the result of this encounter. I want you to understand something that is just factual. It's just here. I, I want to highlight it. Moses sees a bush burning in a desert that's not being consumed. It strikes his curiosity. He's never seen anything like this before. This is not usual. Something strange is going on. I think I'll take a break from my job and see what's happening over here. And so when Moses stopped with what he was doing to take some time to see an event that is happening he could not understand, then God saw that he saw. And when God saw that he saw and took the time to approach it, then God spoke and God brought the encounter. I wonder... I personally wonder how many burning bushes Moses missed. How many did God have set on fire that Moses, with his job and tending the sheep, possibly walked past day and month and year after year until finally this moment... It captures his attention. Because the Bible says very clearly, God gave no response until he saw that Moses saw it. And beloved, I want to say to you this morning, every single day of your life, your good heavenly father has lit a bush in your life. Your heavenly father has engineered a unique circumstance that is intended to draw your attention to it and give you a time out or a pause from your agenda and your life, but not until we stop what we're doing, notice what's going on, and draw near will we hear this voice of intimacy. This, this revelation of God that we've never really had before because though Moses knew Christ, for decades he knew Christ, he is about to encounter God in a way he had never encountered him before. His whole life is about to change. Tomorrow is not going to be like today. The rest of my life is going to define who I am and my whole history as a fugitive and a murderer and even a prince in Egypt is about to be swallowed up by this new walk that I'm going to have with God. How many burning bushes? How many years? How many times until he finally saw it and God engages him? And how many for us on any given day? Because you prayed it. God, I want to meet with you. Oh, beloved, let me tell you something. He wants to meet with you exponentially more than you can even begin to want to meet with him. 
He has set appointments and engagements for our life every single day. But we don't notice it. And oftentimes we walk right past it. It's been in those moments of our life because probably most of you have had them. You've had these moments in life where you took time away to get with God. And when you got with God, there was this experience with God. So you you know what I'm talking about. But he's the God of pursuit. He is the God that's looking for us. He's the God that came to seek and to save. We're not looking for him. The, the impulse that is in you to pray, to turn to God, to ask questions to God, to cry out to... Even that instinct in you to do that is something that grace has put there. I'll share that with you if you'll go to Psalm 27. This encounter with God is life-changing. Job had one. He was a great man, Job. He was a perfect man, mature man. He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of questions, a lot of pain. But he said, my eyes have seen holy. My mouth has nothing to say. I have no more questions. I've seen God. We got a lot of questions. Your answer? Take a time out for his presence. Behold him. Your questions are answered. Just like that. David saw God. Changed his life. In chapter 6, Isaiah writes about a moment when he saw God and his glory filling the temple. From that point forward, Isaiah wrote with the greatest detail and depictions of the suffering Messiah than any other prophet in history. He saw the glory. And the apostles, John said it best in his first epistle and he said, we beheld him we, we touched him. We heard him. Our hands handled him. His glory. We, we beheld his glory. I would probably say Judas did not. But those 11 did. They beheld his glory. In Psalm 27, David says in this psalm, in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, God's the initiator. God initiates it. When you said, seek my face, I'm the responder. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, Will I seek. So listen to me. You got to have a heart for God. Not just a heart for you to escape punishment from hell. You have to have a heart for God. And I want to jump on this on piggyback this in Psalm 42. 
where it's very similar. And David says this, <laughs> this is the man who has a heart after the heart of God. As the heart, the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Just stop. Have you a clue what he's talking about? Have you a thirst like that? Have you ever had a thirst like that for the living God? Like a deer panting for water. Have you ever had that? Your soul, your soul panting after God. Your soul thirsting for God. The living God. Not a praise song, not a worship song. Not a church service, not a preacher, not a YouTube thing. I just, I got to get with God. I've got to drink God. My tears have been my meat day and night while they constantly say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept holy day. Why are you cast down on my soul? Here's a great lesson for us. Because I get depression. I get it. Am I, am I the only one? I get despair. I feel like a loser. I feel like a failure. I feel like nothing. I feel unholy. I feel like a sinner. I get it. Anybody else? Well, this downcastness. Praise God, David did too. But how did he go to church? I went with them with the voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept holy day. But I'm falling apart inside. But this is what God deserves. And he's given this to God. He pours his soul out to God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope in God. He's preaching to himself. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. And and he's looking over the history of God with Israel. I'm not going to let my season of depression define who you are. I'm going to look backward to what you've done. I remember who you are. That's what I'm going to do. And he says, I'll remember you. And then verse 7. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your water spouts. All your waves and your billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Shallow brooks. Make loud noises. 
You don't hear deep rivers. You don't hear the Mississippi. So how do you hear the deep of God? From the deep of you. And it takes an eruption. A water spout. A tornado force. It stirs the surface of the waters to bring from the depths of the waters the voice of God. You ever laid on your bed at night? And God just sat beside you and sang? And you just prayed. And it was so sweet, so powerful, so life-changing. That is addictive. That's why I'm here. That's why I do this. I sure don't do it for pastoring. There's a lot of other things. Opening a door at Walmart. Trust me. If I could, I would. This is hard. But God. But laying in the bed and my heart panting after God, thirsting for God, longing for God, drinking your tears, you're disquieted within yourself, you're downcast in yourself. Oh, but I preach to myself. And oh, I remember. I remember God in the night season. He will command His loving kindness to me. And at night... recently happened, he'll sing to me and I'll pray. Oh my God, I want you to know that people. To hear the deep of God calling to the deep of you demands the violence of a tornado. Demands the violence of a death. The violence of an eruption when we cry, God, where are you? God says, it's my deep calling to your deep. I don't want a surface relationship with you. I want the deep of your soul. That's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Give me to drink. And if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. Deep to deep. I do not want a drop of water out of Jacob's well. I want your soul. That's why you've been through hell. That's why your city rejects you. That's why you're cursed and an outcast. I've allowed it to happen. I've engineered your life for this burning bush at Jacob's well. This is your life-changing moment, woman. And when she met him and dwelt in his presence, her whole life changed. She's not an outcast anymore. Every man in that town listened to her. She brought them to the man at the well. And their lives changed because she drank from the deep of God. Why the hell? Why the heartache? Why the depression? Why the despair? Why these things? Because God is trying to cause a violent eruption within your soul to make you thirst for him. 
thirst for him. Like a deer thirsting for water. Thirst for him. Not the anesthetic of a praise song or a worship tape or a YouTube preaching. Get with God for God's sake. Let him sing to you. Let him speak to you. Let him comfort you. It is the desire of his heart. He's passionately, passionately pursuing you. I'm going to go to another psalm, Psalm 63. And while you're turning there, I'm going to put my earphones on. And I'm going to turn my phone on. And I'm just going to illustrate something to you. Pulling up a little show. And what I've done is I've chosen my world and you're not it. I've tuned you out. I can't hear you. I don't have to see you. I've chosen my world. There's hundreds of people in here. But this is it. I can tune you out. I don't have to see you. I don't have to hear you. I can go to a restaurant and tune you out. This is my world right here. And there's a whole world all around me. But I don't have to live in it. And I don't have to hear People gripe. I don't have to hear them complain. I don't have to, hey, I don't even hear, hey, Lee. Or I can stop this. I can take these out. And I can say, wow, there's another world here. Look at you guys. Or another thing I could do is I could get up every morning And I could say, y'all forgive my hair. I know I got to get it cut. I'm getting it cut Thursday. (laughs) So it's going to really be messed up. I get up every morning and I say, okay, I'm putting on my sackcloth and my depression. This is my world. This is all I see. I don't see you. I don't see God. I just see blackness and despair. I put this on. 
I go to church. This is what I put on. I go to altars. This is what I put on. Oh, gosh, Jordan says to lift our hands. Oh, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Yeah, well, you never come through for me. All I got is depression, despair, blackness of life. You put this on. You can choose another world and you can take it off. Cast off every weight. I'm done with that. I'm so done. Now I, I want to. I want to look at. I want to look at Leah, as she's laying in the arms of God to bring her through trials. I want. I want to. I want to watch God in her life. I'm not going to watch this anymore. I want to look at Evan and Wendy, and I want to watch God work in their life and carry them through tragedies. That I wonder, and how would I? I want to look at James. And I just want, oh God, I thought my problems were bad. Oh God. You inspire me, God, when I look at him. I'm tired of looking through my black sheet, my veil of darkness and depression. I chose that world. I don't have to live in it. I could choose this world. And, and, And maybe this world is money to you. Maybe this world is a career to you or, or church. You know, I'm going to church and this is what I do. Just can't wait to get to church, sit, sit with all my, my buddies and my friends and sit with him. Talk, talk about retreat and all these things coming up and bluebell ice cream and fried apple pies. And man, we're talking the same. Line. I mean, this is it. And, and there is God. But, but I don't, I'm not seeking him. So I'll be with my friends. You know, I want to. No offense. I just want to sit in the middle of my powerless, weak teenage buddies. When the almighty, all-powerful, incredible God is here to be known. No, I'll let my... I'll, I'll let my, my, my friends and my buddies talk about the date they had the other night or how they tricked their parents and did this and that and got away with it all. Yeah, I want to listen to all of that stuff. Psalm 63, David said, you don't have to do this, but you can. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see your power and your glory. Get that depression away from me. Get that, get that away from me. Now I want to see your power and your glory. So I have... As I have seen you in the sanctuary. Why do I want to see you like this? Because you're loving kindness. Oh God. It's better than life. My lips will praise you. 
I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied with, as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. And I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul follows hard after you. I thank God for these young people. I thank God they love Jesus. And look, I I have no power either. All right? I'm boasting in the power of God. And I don't want to be distracted with people who are weak. People are weak. But there is a God who wants you to see him. Who wants you to encounter him. And your whole life will be changed. And I want to look for his power. And I thank God for you guys. Because it's like every one of you are looking for God. And I applaud you. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. You get up in these altars and so forth like that. But maybe some of you religious folks aren't. You got your little traditions you grew up in. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Tell me about your encounter. Tell me about God sitting on your bedside singing to you. Tell me about God putting your heart back together when it was shattered in a thousand pieces. Tell me what he sounds like when he sings. Tell me what he smells like when he comes into the room, you religious people. You can talk to me about your doctrine all you want. But I say this, come and look for the power of God. Come and look for the reality of God. I look for your power because your loving kindness is better than life. So you sit with people and you get with people and you're in an area and are y'all here looking for God? I'm going to go with the people that are. I want to be with the people that are looking for God. Worshiping God. Church that is seeking the presence of God. That desires God and depends upon God and needs God with all of their might. I'm almost through. I really am. It happened to me. I, I, I got saved at five, but my encounter with God happened to me when I was seven, eight years old. I was raised. In a Presbyterian church till I was 15. But I remember one morning, instead of going there, we went to First Assembly of God on Goodwood. Never been there before. I'd never been in a spirit filled church before. And I remember sitting in that church, I don't remember what the preacher said. But my jaw was dropped the whole day. I wasn't scared. I was home. I'm not uncomfortable with God. I don't boast in that. But His loving kindness, I just know how much He loves us. And I sat in that room, seven or eight years old, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching. And I'm mesmerized by the presence of God. The service ends. The altar service begins. Never seen an altar service in my life. 
the altar service begins. I've been to a couple of Baptist altar services, usually a salvation or rededication, but this was just people come to the altars and singing and worshiping and praying, and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching this. And I become transfixed upon another presence in that room. I'm seven years old. I don't understand it. I'm sitting there and time is just going by and my family is packing up to leave. And I'm like, I'm not moving. I can't move. And my mother was next to me and I remember looking up at her and I pulled her arm and I said, why will you take me anywhere else? God is here. I became addicted to him. The whole pursuit of my heart has been for him. I look for burning bushes. I look for him. I don't do it greatly. I'm not incredibly intimate with God. I'm not this person that has all of that with the Lord, but I know it can be. And I pursue that with all of my mind. There have been times in my life where I've been unaware of God's presence in my life and it destroys me. Some of you have been around me when that happens. It destroys me. I can't function. I can't do anything. I feel like I am floating in outer space vulnerable to everything that's around me and I have no control of nothing. And I understand that deer that's thirsting for God. Listen, I love our prayer times. I love that you have times of prayer in your life. I love that. I'm grateful for it. I love that you have devotions. And I encourage you to keep doing your devotions and reading your Bible and reading your devotions and saying your prayers. That is so great. But sometimes that's all it is. It's all it is. When God's just sitting there, worship me, worship me, worship me. Am I going to have to bring a tornado of turbulence into your life to get the deep in you to respond to the deep in me? Worship me, worship me. He's longing. Turn your heart to me. Turn. Yes, 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 yes. My love and kindness is, yes, my love and kindness is great. Yes, close it, close it. Look at me. Let me do it. But no, we, this is not my devotion. I got I to gotta read the next scripture and then I got to read Oswald Chambers and then I've got 10 minutes to say my prayers before I got to go to work. And, and God's... What happened? What happened? So, so rather, I, w- I would say this. Understand the companionship of God. Understand the friendship of God. That that God, though he is so vast and infinite and just beyond our understanding and comprehension, he has 
said himself in, in such a desire, I want to be a father to you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I, w- I, want, to be, I want to be intimate with you. Sometimes, sometimes my children will do something wrong. They're better than me. When something comes between us, I don't rest as the dad till it's right. And a lot of times when it's not right between us, he doesn't rest until it's right. Son, I'm not against you. I love you. Yes, you blew it. Yes, you didn't understand what I was doing and you asked me all kinds of questions and you're depressed and you're downcast. But son, receive me. And, and if you could learn, if, 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 you could, if you could understand Psalm 53, that he's the seeking God and maybe burning bushes throughout the day. You're driving in your car and you're on your way to something. And God says, I need a few minutes with you. And you pull into the nearest driveway and you just sit there. Three minutes, two minutes with your father. And he just speaks to you. And he says, okay, now go on, get to work. I want you to be on time. I'm going to clear some red lights for you because you took time with me. Whatever. Then you're at work, lunchtime. I've, I've got lunch with some people today. And, and your father just kind of speaks to you at 10 o'clock. I need to be with you at lunch today. Can you change your plans? Yeah. He's the initiator. We respond, my, my father, your father will do this to you all day long. Stop watching this show. Not because it's bad. I need some time with you. You're, you're going to come to the end of this show and you're going to wonder why in the world did I watch this? And I feel like I've just wasted two hours and I was wanting to go and just sit with God and sing to God and worship God. But now that is gone. And, and so he knows that. And he's like, come on, put it aside. Come with me. Get away with me. Come away with me. Sit with me. Let me speak to you. Let me sing to you. Let me comfort you. I will satisfy your soul. And that's the thing. God has comforted, satisfied my soul. My soul. And he will do this for you. This is the presence of God. This is the delight and the love of God. So I reference Exodus chapter 3. Don't miss your burning bush. Don't miss your encounter. Because when God sees that you see, he's going to speak to you. He's going to encounter you. Are you ready for your world to change? I mean that literally, your world. One moment with God, 
will not just change you, it'll change your family, your friends. It's not a church, it's not a preacher that's going to change you. It's an encounter with the living God who wants to have it. Close your eyes. How can I respond to the love that you have lavished on me? How can I respond to the love that you have lavished on me? Would you do that right now? Would you give him your heart? Would you respond to his love? Because he's initiated this. Everything I would say that you I know that you've read in God's word is God initiating relationship with you. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you've turned to Jesus. Yes, you believe in the Lord. But the encounter. He's there. He's here. Just respond. Let your soul get thirsty. Let your soul crave him. Let your soul long for Him. Let your soul turn to Him. Refuse to drink from anything other than Him. There's no thirst that can be satisfied by anything but you, Jesus. Give me this water. Give me this water. I want to know you in intimacy. I want to walk with you through my days, hearing you compelling me to your presence, compelling me to pull aside, to stop and spend some time with you. Five minutes here, 20 minutes there, hour and a half here, maybe a whole night, maybe a sleepless night on my bed as I sing and pray and you sing over me and comfort me. You are the most beautiful. You are the most wonderful. You are the most cherished. Nothing, nothing can replace your presence. I want to say this last thing to you while you're here at this altar. Responding to God, this is your opportunity. You make a response. You don't have to. Keep living the life. Nothing has to change. God said to Moses, the people are stiff-necked and they're rebellious. I'm I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you, but I'm going to give you an angel. And this angel will bring you into your promise. This angel will give you your inheritance. This angel will fight your battles And this angel will give you prosperity. Moses said to God, the only thing that makes us unique is your presence. And without you, we have no grace 
and we have no rest. I will not go without you. God, it's not what you can give me. It's you. I need you. I want you. You can answer every question that I have, but it would not satisfy my soul. I want you. I want to be in awe of you. I want to gaze upon you with wonder and amazement. I want to be drawn to you because of your loving kindness. Turn, oh church, turn. Your heart to the Lord. Let your heart cry out. Let your heart pray. your eyes to his world as they served as an illustration only as an illustration the world that you are beholding your world of darkness and depression or your world like the iPhone and the earphones where we hear nothing but what we choose take it off and look at God Get ready. Your tomorrow will not be like today.